0: The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world.
1: Hello, and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week, we're talking about the draft Dublin City Development Plan, which covers the period out to 2028. The date for submissions on the plan closed this week, and among the ideas floated, was to move Dublin Port out of the city to make way for housing and more offices. Arthur Beasley of the Irish Times had that story, which emerged from a submission by the Docklands Business Forum. Arthur and the forum's chief executive, Alan Robinson, join me in a few moments to discuss the proposal. New rules around built rent apartment schemes are also a key element of the plan. Later, you'll hear from Olivia Kelly, Dublin editor of the Irish Times, on the council's controversial plan to mandate that 40% of units in new apartment schemes be made available for people to buy but first to the suggestion that Dublin Port should be moved out of the city to free up land for housing and other commercial developments. It's a hardy annual, and I began by asking Arthur Beasley to outline the latest suggestion that has been put to Dublin City Council.
2: Well, this is a submission from the Docklands Business Forum, which is a group of uh, large and smaller companies which have operations in the Docklands area, and they have made a submission One of, it would appear, thousands at this point to Dublin City Council, which is in the process of going through a new draft development plan for the city for the years 2022 to 2028. And in its submission, the Docklands Business Forum have said essentially that it's time for Dublin Port to move on, to get out of the city, to move elsewhere and make room for housing and offices. Now, this has gone down pretty badly with Dublin Port, which has insisted for many, many years that it's simply not viable or practical to go down that road, that the port is already approaching capacity, it needs to expand, not move, and that uh, essentially that the arguments made by the Docklands Business Forum that essentially the Dublin Port does not take these arguments seriously, to quote the chief executive of Dublin Port.
1: Alan Robinson, you're chief executive of the Docklands Business Forum. Tell us a little bit about that
3: organisation, uh, who you are and what you do. Look, where the, the Docklands Business Forum is the Docklands Association uh, for the Docklands area. There is now in the regenerated Docklands 1,138 businesses. So it's a thriving community of not just large corporates, but it's full of um, lots of SMEs around the hinterland. And uh, it's a growing, vibrant community, uh, enterprise community in the city's area. It produces 9% of our GDP. Um, But I I think that there's a context to our suggesting uh, the Dublin Port Company move its facilities in the city centre location. And the context is simply the housing and accommodation crisis. If you were to log on today, looking to rent an apartment, there are 712 available for you. In a city our size, that's minuscule, and it's uh, less than a quarter of the number uh, that was available 10 years ago. And this crisis is only getting worse. Uh, Dublin City Council and the previous planning authority, the DDDA, between them have managed permission uh, office accommodation for 70,000 uh, local workers in Docklands, but they've only accommodated living accommodation for about 20,000. So there's another 50,000 that have to find somewhere else to live. Now, a great many of those, of course, will already have a home uh, and others may well be lucky enough to find a home on the Dublin Transport uh, Corridor. But the vast majority of people, and nearly 80% of the Docklands workforce, is between the age of 18 and 40. and The vast majority of those people are now going to have to find accommodation in the surrounding counties. And when we get back after covid commute for 10 to 15 hours a week. It's an insane situation that the planning authorities have allowed Docklands and the city get into. And it's only going to get worse because our population is growing.
1: So what's your suggestion, Alan? What should happen and over what time frame? And I'm just wondering about the research you might have carried out to back up this suggestion.
3: Okay. Well, let's let's first of all uh, look at what we're suggesting. The port of over 200 hectares of land right adjacent to the city centre and it's clear from the need for accommodation, not just for residential accommodation, but also for uh, commercial accommodation in the city, that we need an area of scale as close as we can get to the city center to meet the need. Dublin is unique in its degentrification. If you were to walk around what were once Georgian and Victorian and Edwardian squares and streets and boulevards in Dublin, you will see almost no residents there. All of those family homes have been turned in to small office accommodation for SMEs and micro businesses. This happens in every city to some extent, but Dublin is unique in the fact that it's almost happened to its entire, the entire middle to high income earning population in the centre of the city between the canals. And this has devastated Dublin uh, as a cultural uh and as a religious uh center and a commercial center um, and that's a unique situation so we're facing a crisis uh on a whole new level a whole new generation uh, simply won't be allowed to afford uh, a premises to live in in our city kids that are working hard in school doing well in college are being told effectively they're not going to have a family home in their city Okay so we need to address the issue and the obvious place to go is the 200 hectares of Dublin port and not just for the accommodation crisis but also for post Brexit the UK market as a percentage of our market is shrinking the continental market is going up that's going to accelerate significantly with Brexit Dublin port is ideally focused on Hollyhead it makes perfect sense for us to reevaluate our porting infrastructure and say okay well, we can move up the coast to Braymore, to concentrate in the UK market, but we can move down the coast uh, to Ross where there is plenty of space. And there is also good rail links uh, into the Ross port, which has a closer connectivity uh, with the continent. Dublin port, let's remember, you asked me about my research, Dublin port exports and imports almost 80% of Ireland's goods. So eight out of 10 of the heavy goods vehicles you see trundling around the city centre and across our nation um, are coming from or going to Dublin Port.
1: Yeah, sure. Now, um, Eamon O'Reilly, the chief executive of Dublin Port, um, says he doesn't take your views at all seriously. How do you respond to that? He would say that. He would say that, wouldn't he? I mean, Eamon... I, I should say that we invited Eamon O'Reilly to join us on the podcast, but he wasn't available.
3: I regret that Eamon didn't make himself available. I think it would be good for people uh, to have an honest and open debate about what's going on. Eamon says it's not realistic. Uh, I'd just be very interested. Had he come on, I'd be asking him, well, why is it unrealistic? If you look at Docklands since the 1997 Docklands Development Authority Act, Docklands at that time, uh, little more than 20 years ago, was 90% wasteland. A great deal of contaminated soil that had to be removed and shipped to the UK and moved back again. It was an astronomical feat of engineering um, that had to happen to transform Docklands the way, it has, uh, that, the way it has been transformed. And the benefits to the city are outstanding. As I said earlier on, it produces 9% of Ireland's GDP. Nine out of 10 of the world's technology leaders are located in Docklands. Half the world's fina- great financial institutions are located in Docklands, fifty thousand kids get jobs of real with real, real careers in Docklands. Something that didn't happen when I was when I was a lad growing up in the eighties. You had to go to New York or London to work in these premises. So it's very clear that ambitious engineering structures can happen.
1: Alan, with respect, I mean you mentioned to yourself that eighty percent of our, our trade uh, goes in and out of Dublin Port. So obviously, Dublin Port has an important role to play. And not just within the city, but also for the uh, the country's economy. But can I just uh, put to you a couple of things? Uh, They they did release the findings of uh, a study uh, last year, Dublin Port, and they said that uh, moving it would cost over €8 billion uh, and it would have a huge environmental impact and would probably be shot down uh, for those reasons.
3: I'm really glad you brought that up. They did release that study. And that let's let's take that eight point. Let's take what they said in that study that 8.3 billion euro that they said it's going to cost to move the port. If you look in the details of that study, what they also say is that they admit by 2040, the Dublin port campus in Dublin will be full, and they will have to start investigating it, they'll have to start investing in other porting facilities elsewhere. And they costed that in that study, that's 4.2 billion. That's their own figure. So over half the cost of keeping Dublin port is going to be uh, spent on the Dublin port actually investing uh, of moving Dublin port sorry that over half the cost of moving Dublin port is going to have to be spent anyway to expand porting facilities outside the city center but what that port didn't tell you Kieran is that they are already spending 277 million on the redevelopment of the Alexander basin They're also spending another 320 million on their recently permissioned MP2 project in the north of the city. They're also spending tens of millions on their 44 hectares they've had to buy in Fingal that they call um, their inland port facility. And they're also going to have to spend possibly above 100 million on the redevelopment of their uh, south side facility in Ring's End. So if you actually look at all the costs it's going to charge to keep Dublin port in Dublin, and then take into account the possible opportunity costs of what else we can do with the land. Actually, 8.3 billion, their own figure, looks like a very good deal for them to move.
1: What about the environmental uh, issue that they have mentioned? There's no question that moving the port uh, would be a huge undertaking. And indeed, it could get wrapped up in planning delays for years and years and years. I mean, this is something that could take you know, potentially 20, 25 years, looking at the way previous projects uh, in Ireland, particularly big infrastructure ones, have, have played out. How long did it take to deliver the Coral oil field?
3: Kieran, the, the reality is we are going to be seeking porting planning permission, permission whether we move the port out of Dublin or if we keep it, if we keep the port in Dublin, they're already seeking planning permission for the Rings End site. They're already seeking planning permission for their, um, their inner port in Fingal. They've just received planning permission uh, for their MP2 project. They're going to have to apply for planning permission uh, for the expansion of their facilities outside of Dublin uh, because of their uh, running out of space and by their own admission in 2040. So we're seeking planning permission for porting facilities elsewhere, any which way, even according to the port's own uh, data.
0: At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com.
1: Arthur Beasley, Eamon O'Reilly was very quick to dismiss this uh, suggestion from the Docklands Forum. Uh, there was a letter in the Irish Times this morning from Mark Fitzgerald, of uh, the chairman of Sherry Fitzgerald, the, estate agent group who was critical of Eamon Riley coming out and being so dismissive of it, and arguing that we really should uh, give serious consideration to this. That if you uh, take the land in Dublin Port, it equates to I think he said uh, Rathgar, Harold's Cross, and Sandy Mount uh, in terms of acreage, and it could, you know, develop uh, a new um, new neighbourhoods for the next hundred years.
2: So has Eamon Riley got a tin ear? Well, I mean, the port as it stands represents a very important part of the infrastructure of the entire country, right? Um, And I think there's no doubt that this is very, very, very complex engineering-wise. Port developments take decades to uh, undertake. I think there is a history in this country of, uh, as as the port would describe it, of mega projects. I think there's a history of cost, escalation. I think there is a question that we'd have to ask. I think there's also a question that we'd have to ask in terms of like, do we really want to be expanding Dublin City at the rate that, it, that the rate that it is at the moment? Or are we going to try and kind of have move development into other cities in the country? Um, there is a body of opinion that would say that Dublin's growing too large anyway. We should have more focused regional development. Now, maybe it's an idea to base that, some of that regional development around moving the port. But in terms of, I mean, the question that you ask in terms of a, a tin ear, uh, I think there are very serious practical considerations that arise when you go moving something that has been there for uh, in excess of a century that is still expanding at a rate of knots, and the question of getting everything together to move it all, lock, stock and barrel somewhere else.
1: Arthur, do we have any sense of what Dublin City Council's view on this is, or indeed the government's view on this?
2: It seems to me that if, if the if the government wanted to go down this road, uh, they would have embarked down the path uh, long before. Um, I am not sure that there is a political support to do this. I am not sure that, I mean, the idea is a, as you say, it's a kind of a perennial argument. It comes up uh, again and again and again, but it has never really gained political traction to the extent that you have had a government saying, "Okay, we're going to press the green button and we're going to when we're going to do this." I mean, re- re- recall that I mean we've been talking about a metro for Dublin for decades at this point, and it's still decades away. Do we have the capacity uh, as a? a, a as a state, as a as a body politic, to take on a project of this nature and actually deliver it. Yes, if the people, if 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 you had a proper coherent plan, but look at the amount of delays that we have on the metro. Um, I mean, the, the, the metro remains a, a dream, a kind of a chimera. I mean, some would say a, a pipe dream. Does anyone realistically expect that they're going to be going into a, a metro station uh, somewhere underneath Grafton Street anytime soon? Yeah, him and Ryan might, who knows. Uh, Olivia uh, Kelly,
1: I'm going to come to you in a moment. But Alan Robinson, just to close off this point about uh, Dublin Port, you mentioned that it would uh, potentially deliver housing for uh, the 70,000 workers um, in the Docklands area. But is there any evidence to suggest that those workers would actually be able to afford the housing that would be built in Dublin Port? Because we know that our, our housing stock is very expensive.
3: Well, the first thing you learn in any economics class is supply and demand. If you increase the supply, the price will go down. And if we have a large area of land that we can develop substantial amount of housing on, the price will get more affordable.
1: Okay, let's go to Olivia Kelly on this, because one of the key elements of the Dublin city plan is uh, around build to rent uh, apartments. Olivia, you've been writing about this. Uh, Dublin City Council wanted to introduce an element whereby if you were developing 100 plus units on a site, uh, 40% would have to be set aside uh, for sale to to people and the rest um, uh, could be rented out. I don't think that's going to fly. Well,
0: I might just come in first there on that issue that you raised with Arthur in relation to whether the City Council has its eye on the Dublin port lands. It's not where its focus lies at the moment, and it's not where its focus lies for this coming development plan, if you look at the draft plan and how it's been written. And and Alan might want to come back in on this, but essentially they're focusing on their intention for this part of the city on the uh, Poolbeg Peninsula, and on what we would have formerly called the Glass Bottle site, and that's what the city council wants to develop first. And I'm wondering what Alan's view is in relation to that, as in when he thinks the port lands might be necessary in terms of developing housing, uh, given that we're 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 only now starting to develop the the Glass Bottle site, and that will, you know, accommodate at least. 8,000 people, but possibly more in terms of there being increasing pressure to increase heights and density in in that sphere.
3: Happy to come back to that, uh, Olivia. You're correct uh, when you say that um, that this uh, draft development plan does not have a focus on Dublin Port uh, as a potential for residents at all. And you're also correct in saying that they are focusing on the pool bag. Um, But I think what we are saying is that 8,000 is frankly a joke. Uh all the evidence shows, I mean, you know, it, this has been covered so substantially and researched so much. Um, there's uh, an apartment shortfall in Ireland of uh, 450,000. It's absolutely staggering. And that apartment fortfall, uh, shortfall for Dublin, it's not quite as bad, but it's about 200,000 apartments we're missing today for today's population. And the population is growing. And you cannot underestimate this crisis, Recre- creating... Answering, uh, for just the Docklands area alone, uh, we're missing living accommodation for 50,000 people. And for Dublin City Council to suggest that the development that will result in 8,000 places is somehow going to address this issue, it's just not a runner. Um, And there are long-term problems with pool bag and challenges, just like there would be long-term problems and challenges uh, for the port area. But what I would suggest is the crisis is of such enormity that this development plan must address it and not wait for something else. And But that crisis is not just one of accommodation. It's a crisis within the port itself. They promised time and time again that they were, had more than enough room and resources uh, to, to do the job they have to do to export the goods that they do. And time and time again, I'm afraid, that just hasn't happened. They've already started the process of moving.
1: Sure. I mean, I think they're also arguing as well that they've had to set aside a lot of land um, for Brexit checks and so forth, and that that's land that they um, they, they can't really use now anymore. But anyway, look, I think we'll we'll park Dublin Port uh, for a moment. Uh, Olivia, let's come back to the uh, broader... I'll
0: come back to the, the bill to rent issue. Yeah,
1: and we should say the pool bag um, development that you're talking about is, is uh, NAMA in conjunction with uh, Johnny Ronan-led... Uh, consortium so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out
0: how that plays out indeed and we've the planning applications on all yeah. that yet to come and i suppose that's where the development plan comes in because the development plan governs all of that it's all about um uh, what land is is used for in the in the city essentially and um, there's always a big focus on housing in any development plan the development plan comes around every six years uh Often, and in previous development plans, the big focus has been on heights. This time, what's come into play is build to rent. And a big part of that is because during the course of this development plan, the rules were changed. So the city development plan, the the last one, which came into force in 2016, would have had certain rules and apartment sizes and standards, and then... A ministerial directive came in, initially, Alan Kelly, when he was Minister for Housing, followed by uh, Owen Murphy, followed by Simon Covemey, came in with different uh, provisions on apartment standards. And one of those was the introduction of Bill to Rent. The model of Bill to Rent, inherently, there's nothing wrong with it in that, you know, if you think of this new cost rental that we have coming in now, Everyone loves cost rental. Everyone wants to do, uh, you know, uh, it, being involved in it or have an opportunity to rent these lower cost apartments. It's the same basic principle in that these are, are units that will stay long term and the rental market won't be sold off piecemeal. The problem with bill to rent in Dublin is that it has become essentially the only type of apartment that developers are interested in building at the moment. City Council have seen this as an issue in that they see the applications coming in. At the moment, most of those applications are going directly to onboard Planola under the strategic housing development process, but that's coming to an end now. So all those applications are going to come back to the City Council. And and what they're saying is there's essentially no other applications being made for apartments in the city just because built rent is so lucrative. The reason it is so lucrative is you do not have to comply with the same sort of standards, both in terms of the size of the apartments, the amount of smaller apartments you're allowed to have in any particular block, but as well other standards like you can have far more apartments per per what they call per core, and that means per set of lift and stairs. You don't have to comply with the same sort of standards in terms of uh, how many, you know, uh, dual aspect, that's how many windows you have to have on a building, essentially. They're far cheaper to build, so that's what everyone wants to build. The City Council has seen that as a problem. So to modify that, they have put into the draft development plan a couple of provisions, a couple of tighter controls essentially on build to rent. One of those is that there wouldn't be any blocks anymore that would be entirely bill to rent, as in you'd have to have at least 40% of the apartments in a block, which would be of those higher standards where they could be sold. Then they have another provision that you wouldn't have built-to-rent blocks that were smaller than 100 apartments. And the reason for that is built-to-rent is meant to come with all these flashy new facilities, your gyms and your cinemas and your communal rooms. And basically they're saying that if you have fewer than 100 people paying management charges, those facilities aren't really going to be realistic or they're going to get run down very quickly. So they put in these changes uh, the planning regulator, who, bear in mind, didn't exist the last time we did a development plan, has put in a submission saying, well, hold on, this doesn't comply with the national policies. The the so-called guidelines that the, those ministers I mentioned earlier introduced, but they're not really guidelines because they're mandatory. So what they're saying to the to the City Council now, what the regulator is saying is, You have to omit these. You can't go ahead with these in your development plan. Now, the process we're at now is all the submissions have been made to the council. The council officials, the council management side of things, they'll assess these. They'll come back to the councillors with amendments based on these submissions. And that's when the row will break out because the councillors to a man and woman don't like Bill to Rent. Uh, because they've seen the opposition to it. We've all seen the the high court cases, the the judicial reviews. There will be a battle where the councillors do not want to roll back on what they've put into the draft development plan. But we have the regulator who will be standing there, you know, saying, waving and saying, hello, hello. There are ministerial national policies to which... You 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 have to have regard, which which you have to comply with, really, rather than just have regard.
1: Olivia, let's say the Dublin City Council presses ahead with this, at the behest of the councillors, uh, it, it were to try to press ahead with this. What powers does the regulator have to stop it?
0: Well, the regulator essentially c- can tell on them, can go run into the minister and say, I told them to do a thing which you, which you have mandated through your ministerial guidelines, and they're not doing it. Now, Minister, it's it's up to you to issue a directive to the council telling them what to do. I am wondering, will things go that far? As in, you know, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure. This particular minister, this Fianna Fail minister we have now, Dara O'Brien, I'm not sure what his own appetite is for a bill to rent, and might he be inclined to. To give a derogation of sorts or to come to some sort of wording with the council. Maybe he doesn't, and the regulator can't put up with the current wording that the council will put in, but they might be able to come to some sort of accommodation where the council can have more powers to refuse built to rent developments when they think they're they're inappropriately located. And bear in mind, built to rent was not meant to be a citywide or Dublin wide or a national really scheme you know type of of housing scheme initially it was earmarked for very particular places like the docklands where you would have a high number of of uh, mobile workers who wanted to come in rent a a a clean stylish flashy apartment for a very short period of time we're talking 3 6 months a year max and then go off again that's what it was designed for where we had a a lack of those type of rental properties but as we've seen, it's just springing
1: up everywhere. Arthur Beasley, uh, the politics of this are very interesting because, um, you know, the government is on the back foot in, in terms of the housing uh, issue, and Sinn Féin is on the rise in the polls, and uh, nothing that the government does or proposes is enough to satisfy uh, Sinn Féin. So it's a tricky one for uh, for for the government to deal with, isn't it?
2: Well, it is. I mean, the the, the reality is, I think there's a there's a there's a huge need for. Uh, residential property to buy and also residential property to rent. Um, we also have a situation where you have a generation of people who won't buy apartments, don't see apartments as being a uh, a long-term thing in which people might move into and raise families in them. The counter-argument there is that maybe if we had better, larger apartments, then more people would, be, would want to uh, live in that way. But the 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 core problem is, is that this is not something that's amenable to a political decision in which you get uh, a situation improving like a light switch uh, in the weeks and months thereafter. It takes a long time to build apartments, it takes a long time to build houses, and we have this massive demand. Underlying it all is that we have Uh, practically a million more people working in this country now than we had 25 years ago. The population is growing, the economy has grown, and uh, the housing market hasn't caught up. Arthur, what's the view of property developers? You've been going through a lot of these uh, submissions, any from property developers? Very difficult to divine at this point. These uh, submissions are being uh, dribbled out as they uh, they go through them in, in city council, there, there is a view that there's been something like 3,000 submissions on the draft development plan. There's only 1,200 that are there about uh, published uh, right now. So the view of developers remains to be seen. But I think uh, given the uh, enthusiasm with which uh, developers and companies have embraced this whole uh, build-to-rent concept and given the uh, ability to make uh, very nice profits from it, I think, it's, uh, I think we could expect that they would be taking a line that these restrictions proposed by the City Council uh, should fall by the way. Olivia, where does the uh, city development plan go from here?
0: Well, as I explained, all these submissions that, that Arthur mentioned there, there's a whole lot of them. It'll take quite a while for the officials to go through them um, because what they do is they will, you know, some of the submissions... W- won't go anywhere others they will make recommendations for alterations to the development plan based on on, on what's been submitted uh, th- that's particularly the case when you're when you're dealing with state agencies or, or or you know bodies like the planning regulator those submissions are more likely to be reflected in the plan but uh, you know it, we're we're also talking about submissions from residents associations from you know individuals and if they have a point to make Yes, that will be reflected in the plan. That then goes back to the councillors who will review the amended plan. They may make more amendments based on the amended plan. So this process is is far from over. Eventually, we will get at some stage uh, this year, we will get the finalised plan. And that will will then be in place till till 2028.
1: All right. Well, we'll wait and see how that uh, pans out. Olivia Kelly, Arthur Beasley and Alan Robinson, thank you for joining Inside Business. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Arthur Beasley, Alan Robinson, and Olivia Kelly. The show was produced by Declan Collins with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today, email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook each day. I'm Ciarán Hancock. Until next time, take care.